Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. It's a lot easier to raise $10 million than it is to raise 100000 right? Because you have, at that point, if you're raising big money, you kind of have the network and the relationships and the track record and all that together. So if you are in the beginning stages and you're a startup, it's about starting to build that network and build that relationship. Take your idea, make sure you have your vision, make sure you're the right person, you feel comfortable with what you're doing, hire the right people, bring somebody on like me that understands how to build a full-on financial plan to set you up for success. And then go out to your network, your relationships, and prove that this model is going to work and you're the right person. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, I got someone who's raised over $200 million in private capital. He's an investor of ours in our boutique hotel fund, and he's doing something really cool, giving back to the folks uh, in all aspects, helping them in all aspects of their life. I got my man, Greg Wilson. Greg, welcome to the show, brother. What's going on, Rich? How you doing? Dude, I'm super uh, excited to have you on the uh, the show. Man, we first connected uh, a few months back, actually, when we were raising money for the Boutique Hotel Fund. You, you reached out. Um, and since then, you've been out to one of our yacht meetups. We had a chance to connect there. Uh, turns out we got some mutual friends right. uh, from back home. Shout out to, to Lucy Vopolinsky. But uh, man, tell us what uh, what you're up to in the space, man. Yeah, I got a lot going on right now. So, you know, I started my career in finance, have my CPA license, um, took a partner position at a consulting firm uh, about 10 years ago and uh, built a company up that we did, outsourced accounting, financial services, CFO work, that sort of thing for small, mid-sized businesses. And throughout my career, I really started to have a passion for businesses, how they operate, how they work not just in the finance realm, but really operationally and how the whole ecosystem works together. And I um, built a firm out in Colorado for about three or four years, partnered with somebody here in San Diego, uh, took a position out there, built a company out there, and then uh, later kind of shifted gears, did some personal development, some other things that I wanted to do in my life and came back and started building a, another company with a good friend of mine who founded Precision Financial And that has grown. We've got about 30 employees right now. And that's grown just to this kind of boutique style accounting, full service, professional services, accounting, finance firm. And really what I've been focusing on is more of the advisory side, really helping people understanding how their business works, how their business is going to be successful. And really my mission is to to help people win at the game of business. It's, It's challenging out there. Um, and one of my, one of the industries I've been really focused on is e-commerce. And so I started building, uh, e-commerce accelerator, which is a course and a mastermind and a group for specifically e-commerce entrepreneurs that want to grow, build, scale, and potentially have an exit out of their business. So I really wanted to niche down on something that I was passionate about, something I've had some success with in my life and start to build something out that was scalable and I could start to build a community around some really cool like-minded people. 
Dude, so, I love that, man. There's so much to unpack in there. And, and you said the name of the game. It's like you're helping folks win in the game of business. Yeah. And, you know, whenever you get into any new venture, whether it's business or, uh, you know, even sports uh, for that matter, it's like, you know, I want to play to win the game. Right. I don't want to play not to lose. I want to play to win. Um, and so, you know, there's a bunch of different variables uh, and things that, you know, obviously take you to the path of winning. But, you know, with any business, you need money. Whether you're building a real estate portfolio yeah. uh, or a new business venture, you're going to need money, right? And yeah. so with your experience raising capital, what do you think are the the two or three most important things in terms of raising money successfully? Oh, man. So number one is you've got to have a plan. And not just you know a business plan. I think that term's maybe thrown out a lot. But really having a clear vision of where you want things to go. And investors are... When we're talking about businesses, investors are going to invest especially in startups, in the person more than they're going to invest in the idea or things like that. I'm sure we've seen Shark Tank and how that works, but we're really trying to identify, do I believe in this person and can they fulfill on what it is? It could be a great idea, but the wrong person. That's such a good point. Because how often do you see even on Shark Tank, um, the sharks might be like, that's a really good business idea, but like we don't like that person, the way they react to questions or the way they respond, yep. right? Exactly. They're too emotional. Yep. Or they, they, if you can't get along with people or there's some sort of disconnect there because business is about building relationships, solving a problem and building relationships. So that even just as an investor myself, I'm looking for who are the people are involved and do, am I on board with this? Right. So that's number one is you have a vision and make sure that you are the right person for it. If you really have a passion for what you're doing, because when times get tough, are they going to give up? Are they going to freak out or, um, you know, which way are they going to go? So um, yeah, definitely having a vision on where you want to go and having a, a plan. So from a finance standpoint, really having a clear plan of how much money do you actually need to raise? And usually investors are going to say like, okay, if you need a million dollars, we're probably going to double it. We actually need, you actually need $2 million for it. So mm -hmm. I actually have a good buddy right now who's, uh, they're building a pickleball, uh, they're starting to build a pickleball franchise starting out in Utah and Boise and Idaho. So those are the things we're going through right now. We have a couple of different investors. I'm on their side, put some money in myself. And it's like, how do we start to identify um, some of the things that will really help them reach success? Dude, pickleball is like the latest and greatest trending <laughs> sport. Uh, I tell By the way, those my, businesses make a ton of money. I have the seen, some of the, I've seen some of the financials on them. So they make a ton of money. I can imagine. It's Dude. the fastest growing sport right now. We, so. when we, we had a pickleball at my, my Scottsdale property. And when we put pickleball in the listing title, like on Airbnb, our revenue went up 35% overnight, <laughs> Shit, literally. Um, but, uh, and shout out to Tyson McGruffin. Uh, I know yeah. if you're familiar some of the players. Yeah. Uh, I was in talks with Tyson trying to get him on the podcast when he was out here in Southern California playing a tournament last, uh, but it fell through. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely get him on the show. I might have to go out to Boise to get him on. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, love the sport, dude. So tell yeah. me about this franchise they're building. Yeah, so it's actually two really good buddies of mine, one that I'd surf with here in San Diego. And they're just super passionate about pickleball. One of them's big real estate guy. Another one's kind of a tech guy. And so I've been helping them structure what does this thing look like? How many locations do we want to open in five, 10 years? And just right now we're working just one location in Boise and mapping out the revenue projections. It's a subscription model or a membership model, different tiers and then open play and, you know, court reservation fees and things like that. So understanding how much the revenue, how much revenue can we bring in? The majority of revenue is going to be from 
the actual um, subscriptions or the memberships, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, it's like a gym membership. You want people to pay the membership, but ideally not come in a lot because yes. right? that's how the business will make more money. But they want to create an experience. And I, I don't know if you've heard like the Pickler or some of the other places where they have it's they have like a bar. Uh, snacks and food and they do tournaments they have a golf simulator so we're building the whole thing out golf simulator like a little bar on the side and and things like that so it's really about building the experience and building up that first location uh keeping expenses low as low as we can because we want to we want to raise money but we don't want to give away too much equity up mm. front and so we're playing away you know playing with a couple of different ideas of parent company equity versus the actual location equity and trying to get that prove the model the one location and once we do that then it's build the franchise and start to license things out mm. you know five or ten years down the road and jeff fenster who you had on the other day that guy's like the king of franchises man he nailed Dude, it he's he, amazing he scaled a 450 uh, everbowl stores in like Wild. three years under the franchise Wild. model yeah. which is crazy really cool and so i can imagine with with the pickleball you get a couple of big names behind it, like right. uh, like he did with Drew Brees. I think yeah. that would that would be the big lever right there. Exactly. Maybe get one of these guys like Tyson McGruffin, who is the the number two pickleball player in the world, uh, to endorse. Get behind it. I don't know. Right. And I think like right now with I'm going to go off on a tangent for maybe just a second. Yeah, I'll bring it back, but with AI and a lot of the human experiences and things that are being removed, like I'm seeing this this huge opportunity in like real life experiences for people and i know you do the same thing you're, you're putting together events for people and things like that and i think that's where even you can monetize the 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 real life interactions because so much is being pushed to like not not real life anymore which is wild and when you say are things are being pushed to like not real life what do you mean like social media with ai okay. and yeah social media and people kind of living in this other world the the, the metaverse all that right and so yeah. I think there's going to be a big craving, obviously, with, with COVID and all that, the big craving of people wanting to actually get together and, and do things. So I think experiences are going to be where, you know, a, a good industry to spend a lot of time in as well. So. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think pickleball is like here to go. I think it's here to stay. Um, you know, just myself playing. It's, it's been around for like a long time. Yeah. So just for the record, I think pickleball has been around for like 40, 50 years. Yeah, it used to be just old people. Yes. Like, However, <laughs> somehow it became mainstream over the yeah. last two years. Yeah. Um, but I think it's here to stay. Just, you know, my limited experience playing, I'm like, dude, anyone can pick it up. You can be 75 years old and still play pretty good. Yeah. Um, and anyone can get out there that's not even athletic or maybe they don't even know anything about pickleball. And within an hour or two, they can be decent enough to like rally. Right. And right. actually like have a little fun. And so I think um, that it's it's here to stay. And, and you're seeing courts everywhere pop up. I mean, there's a, a location here in East County, San Diego. Um, I think it's called The Hub. Mm -hmm. And they just they just rolled it out. I want to say four months ago, but it's like 20 courts. And I don't know their model. Maybe it's subscription. Maybe it's not. But um, it looks really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, to I'll back. i throw a shout out to your audience, too. If anybody wants to invest in a pickleball yeah. business, let me know. Hit me up. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hit, hit up Big Greg if you guys want to get into some pickleball stuff. Uh, so to circle back, we went on a little tangent there. Um, some quick hitters on, on on what it takes to be successful in business. You know, obviously you have the money. Yep. Um, and what are some other quick hitters in terms of successfully raising capital? You talked about vision. Yep. You talked about being being the right entrepreneur. Right. And it's it's a lot easier to raise $10 million than it is to raise 
a hundred thousand, right? Because you have at that point, if you're raising big money, you kind of have the network and the relationships and the track record and all of that together. So if you are in the beginning stages and you're a startup, it's about starting to build that network and build that relationship. And a lot of those start from friends and family or things like that. So I think you got to take an take your idea, make sure you have your vision, make sure you're the right person, you feel comfortable with what you're doing, uh, hire the right people, bring somebody on like me that understands how to build a full-on financial plan to set you up for success. And then go out to your network, your relationships, and prove that this model is going to work and you're the right person. And you got You do have to know the numbers. And when like investors, like I said, they're going to invest in the person and they know that the numbers are going to be trashed and not going to be right. All forecasts, all projections are wrong. But just the fact that you have planned it out and you mm-hmm. methodically know exactly how things should probably go, when things don't go that way, you know how to adjust. So it's, it's building those relationships and having that, that plan, um, plan for execution and plan for your financials moving forward. Yeah, I love that you said that. I mean, with any um, you know, opportunity, uh, especially in the real estate side, it's like, okay, here, here's the performa, here's the projections, here are the projected returns. You're never gonna you're never gonna nail it right spot on. No. It's either gonna exceed or it's going to uh, under deliver, right. and um, you know that's the risk, right? And I think it's also important to know the risk and be, to be able to outline the risk to the investor and say, hey, worst case, case scenario, this is what the return profile is going to look like. Yep. Um, this is best case scenario, and more often than not, we're going to land somewhere in the middle. You know. And if yeah. the investor is okay with the worst case scenario and they're okay with the best case scenario, then it's probably going to be a fit. If yeah. not, um, that's okay. Let me know what you're looking for and I'll try to put together a deal next time that might be a better fit for you. And yeah. that's it. You know, would you, would you say that, um, early on someone that's raising money for, uh, their first business venture or their first real estate deal, do you think that it's more important to have a good base of like friends and family that trust you? Or would you say it's more important to have kind of like a, uh, a presence on social media and, and have an audience, if, if that makes sense? If you are a busy professional and don't have time to invest in real estate, but still want to participate in the passive income and tax benefits, my team, Summers Capital, is buying a lot of boutique hotels right now. We source the deals. We renovate the properties and we even do all the day-to-day management, making it truly hands-off for investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of two different directions. Be circumstantial. I think you could go either route. I think a lot of small businesses are going to want to start with friends and family and sometimes that can actually be really stressful because now you have your friends and family's money in the business and you're spending it and you, they might be asking you constantly what's going on. And so you, depending on your personality type and what you're doing, it's like, well, do I want to take people that I don't really know very well money or do I want to take people that I really care about money? And now I, is that going to get too emotional? And you know, some other options would be like crowdfunding and we've done crowdfunding mm-hmm. and things like that too. Those are good for startups, but yeah. Dude, you know, I've heard some folks say this as well. Um, for me, I'm like, whether it's, uh, whether it's a, a new investor that I just met 
or it's like, you know, a, a lifelong family member or f- lifelong friend, I'm going to treat their money the same way. Yeah. Um, that's good. Not yeah. Mo- not, not everybody does that. Yeah. So. I'm going to treat it the exact same yeah. way. But what you said also resonates because I think this is important for a lot of folks to understand is like, not all money is good money. There yeah. might be some investor capital that you're like, Hey, you know what? We're not going to be a fit to work together because at the end of the day, like whether it's a client, whether it's investor, like most people are great to work with. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's always going to be that one person. I mean, everyone had it, that one person in their classroom when they were in elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, there's always <laughs> that, always that one coworker that just, no matter what, they're never happy. Right. And yeah. so, uh, from a return on your time standpoint, some people are going to give you more headaches than others. Um, I've heard Grant Cardone say like he, someone invested like a large check into one of his deals, multiple millions. And this dude like showed up a few days later, sent one of his team members to Grant's office and was like trying to do like all these audits. Yeah. And he's just like wrote the check, sent it right back. He's like, I'm not interested in your money. Yeah. And that's, Stuff like that's that. such a critical <laughs> lesson because I've been on, I've been on both ends of that. Uh-huh. Of It's too late. We've already had this person in and now they own equity. They think they have control of the business, but they don't, but they're potentially just a pain in the ass at that point. And so I think when you when you are raising money, and we're going through the, I'm going through this with a couple of clients right now, of they're asking the right questions, but are they potentially becoming a nuisance? And if they do actually get into the business, are they going to be more toxic than they are going to be helpful, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it is really important to find the right investor. And especially as a startup, you get excited and you're like, this person wants to put in a hundred grand, great, and I need the money. But if it's not the right person and now, you know, that, you know, sometimes you got to listen to your gut feel mm-hmm. on that. If your gut tells you this doesn't feel right, probably, probably not. So. Yeah. And w- one other thing that I, uh, one other point on this before we move on is like, I've noticed it's often, and I've told folks like on the front end, like, Hey, we're not going to be a fit based on the questioning that they're asking. Yeah. But what I found is my larger check investors are the ones that are like, Hey, here's my money. I trust you not really a lot of questions and I welcome all the questions. I will, I will take the time to walk, you know, anyone through any scenario. Um, but you know, I noticed that some of the first time investors that are investing a very, very small chunk, those are the ones that ask endless <laughs> questions and endless calls. And I'm like, Hey, like, look, like, you know, if, if I understand, I'm, I'm happy to walk anyone through all these questions. However, you know, if these questions just keep going and going and going to me, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I don't want to take your money because I obviously can tell like you are so concerned with where you're going to put this. I don't want you to put it with me. Right. Cause it's like almost like their last little bit, like yep. don't put it with me, you know? Yep. Um, and so I've told investors no because of that. Um, and that's okay. But what I've noticed is it's always the, the smaller, maybe first time. Those are the ones that have a million questions. And like you said early on in the show, you know, they're really investing in you. So it's like either you trust us or you don't, if you don't, no big deal, you know? Anyways, so uh, what are some other uh, key takeaways for, for raising capital? Yeah, I mean, I think we hit a lot of them. And uh, I mean, really got to understand what type of capital you want to raise to. Is it debt? Is it equity? Is it convertible notes? Is there a pref on it? Is there is it a royalty deal? All sorts of stuff. Again, Shark Tank is like very creative with their royalty deal. Every time I watch that show, I'm just like, oh man, that's a shit deal. Because they just give these like deals that really take from a lot of people. So I think when you're raising money, really understanding how much are you willing to give away? What is the value? What's the, what's a real valuation of your company? 
and this just because this pickleball thing is relevant right now, it's we're trying to figure out what the valuation of a business that has no nothing going on right now. And then we have to pick apart, does that valuation make sense? Can we go and look at comparables and try to figure out, is our ask really comparable to some other things out there, right? So if you already have a business that is running and you're raising your second round, third round or whatever, then you can actually, you have some numbers and some history to go off of. So the best thing to do is try to get started as quickly as you can without raising as much capital so you can start to prove your track record. So you can actually raise money at a higher valuation and that way you're not giving away so much of the house. And so I know you had the credit stacking guy on here too, Mm -hmm. not too long ago. And uh, like I preach a lot of that too, is use credit cards. Like if you use credit cards the right way and take the 0% interest for the first year and roll them over and like people should listen to that guy because that's what we've done with a lot of clients and even clients where we're, we're growing and we need to, we need additional credit. I've put, I've got cards that we're able to get millions of dollars over multiple cards spread it out over 30 or 60 days. And I've just like, we increased the float cash float of their business. Mm-hmm. And it, like, that's $2 million extra in their bank account. We're like, Oh, we'll go buy inventory or whatever. So, you know, just getting creative on other ways of financing as well. So, yeah, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, whether it's a, a small business venture or a real estate deal, you know, taking on debt is always going to be a lot cheaper than giving away equity. If you can do it now, you could be on the certain, hook and you could lose your, you right. Know, you could lose but in certain situations, asset, yeah. you're going to, you're going to, you, you might overstress the asset if you over leverage. Um, so there's definitely uh, pros and cons to both models, but yeah. generally speaking, debt is going to be a little bit cheaper than, than given equity. Um, but I'm curious, um, cause all the raises I've ever done are on the real estate side. Yeah. And debt so, works very well for real estate. Yes. Right? And it's easy to get. Yes. It's just tangible value. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's relatively easy for us to underwrite and analyze a real estate deal. We can look at sales comps. We can look at, you know, uh, surrounding properties to see what they're achieving. Um, and so there's many ways for us to d- dial in our projections. And then there's way f- ways for us to mitigate our risk by, you know, being extra conservative on certain levers such as exit cap rate um, and that sort of thing. But when you when it comes time to value a business, when you're gearing up for a raise, like how should one value a business? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is a completely separate profession in itself, you know, professional uh, valuation and really you're looking at like multiples of revenue or multiples of EBITDA. So we would go and look at comparables. I would talk to a valuation expert. I would try to get some comparables of that industry somewhere, maybe in that location and just look at what would be a multiple off of EBITDA and what, or what would be a multiple off of revenue. And we can kind of get an idea of what it is, but really the value of your business is what somebody is willing to pay for it. Right? So if you can make your business attractive, and this is something I'm actually very good at. We just did um, a day spa, med spa down in Austin, three different locations, just now opening their fourth location. But we initially started off with uh, a buyer who valued the business at about $40 million. And then they hired me. We went through the entire, went through their entire books. Uh, we were able to find some things in the books, in the financials, and we ended up getting a $46 million valuation within five months. So basically increased the value of that business by $6 million within a six, mix, six months time frame with a ton of negotiation and everything in between, right? And so 
there's some nuances just in finance alone that you can start to see, okay, well, I actually want to get my EBITDA up. How do I get my EBITDA up? And revenue is revenue, but you know, what are some things that we can, we can do to actually increase the value of that business? So, but yeah, start, you got to start with comparables, look at other industries out there, talk to some valuation people. I've got people in my network that I kind of go to of, Hey, what do you know about this and this industry? You can get a valuation of your business. Some like once you get into the public level or your you know, hundred million dollar plus deals, a lot of times they want to see a valuation without having to go through the sale process. So you can get like an appraisal. Yeah. get an appraisal of it. Okay. So I try to avoid that, uh, just because at the end of the day, you're trying to negotiate. Sometimes the valuation, like a true valuation could be way under or way over, and depending on who you go to, like if I know the guy, I'm like, well, I want the valuation to be a little bit higher. Mm. And so sometimes it's a good starting point, but really you got to dive in and start to look at where is the value in my business, not just on EBITDA. What does the uh, relationships look like in the business? What do my employees look like? What's the culture? How, what's my operations look like? What are the processes that are built? Is this thing scalable? And so in in the example of this day spa, med spa, their processes were just dialed. So they had the right employees there. The three owners could literally just step away and the thing would run itself. And that's very attractive. Mm. And so business is worth a lot less if you or I own a business and the second you or I step away, Greg Wilson is no longer there and this is not a business anymore. So if it's Greg Wilson's company and Greg Wilson goes away... Yeah, it's, and a perfect it, example would that of that would be like uh, like Cardone Ventures, right? Grant Cardone is such a big key yep. in all in driving revenue and marketing that if he steps away, it's like, well, what's the business going to really look like? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, a lot, like on that note too, I've had a lot of people that have come up to me and be like, oh, I have this like catering business, or I have this like, and I want to sell it. And I think this is a good note for people that have the kind of small businesses right now. It's like, well, if you sell it and you're gone. There's nothing there, right? Maybe you have some clientele, but their clientele are attached to you. So uh, right. this is something I have in the e-commerce accelerator course too, is how do you step away from your business to, and build those processes around making it actually a tangible thing that can run on its own, or you can put in a new operator and it doesn't have to be you. Mm-hmm. So, what What is one way to... to- take a business such as let's say Cardone ventures where he's the main guy <laughs> and how do you maybe transform that business over the course of a few years to where he's no longer needed? I'll give you another good example. So another client of mine, dermatology center out, uh, in all in LA, we're opening our fifth location and I've worked with a lot of, uh, doctors and dentists and things like that as well. And some of them are, they're the doctor. You want to go to see that person mm-hmm. and they want the lifestyle. They want the money. They want all that. And then they want to step away. You know, one of, one of my uh, clients just had a couple kids. And so she's like, I don't want to, but the second they stop working, then, you know, productions go down. And so this dermatologist I'm working with super savvy businessman, he built the brand of his dermatology center rather than doctor, whatever dermatology. And so I think the mistake a lot of people make from the beginning is building around. It might be a little bit of an ego thing too, especially with doctors or people in a professional field of building it around them. Uh, Take the approach of how do I build a brand around this? Mm -hmm. And so people are going to come to the brand 
because they like this environment, this experience, and they're not coming to see me specifically. Yeah. And that's hard. Like it kind of like takes a hit on the ego. And, um, but if you really want to build something sustainable, that's how you do it. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I, I do, I will say this though. I think when you are building a brand, people want to follow a personality. Sure. And you're going to be able to grow the personality, the personal brand a lot quicker than you will a company brand. Definitely. And that's the same reason why you see a lot of these big brands, they will partner with big names yes. such as Kim Kardashian or LeBron James uh, because those they know those folks have way more influence than just their company brand. Yep. And so like when I was launching like Summer's Capital and this podcast, you know, that was a decision I had to make. And the reason I went this direction is because I knew that we'd be able to grow it a lot quicker with my name being a personality versus just some generic brand, if that makes sense. So it's give and take. But, you know, if we ever go to exit one day, which, you know, who knows? I mean, if we do, it'd be so far down the road, right? I feel Mm -hmm. like we're just getting started and this is just the beginning. But, you know, that is going to be another layer or added complication that we'll have to, you know, potentially look at. Yeah, I mean, I think you always have the rich, the rich Summers brand and people that follow you and your social media, but Summers Capital itself can have that portfolio and have the team behind it. And so if you want to start break off part of Summers Capital, I mean, that's that's definitely an option down the road. You know, just kind of build it in its own infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you're gearing up for a sale. What are some things that you want to look for uh, on on some sort of exit in the in the business space? Yeah, so there's a lot of people that come to me asking they well they want to sell their business, and first question is well when right and and sell, first of all selling a business is not easy. I, I don't know what the stats are right off the top of my head, but like there's a lot of people that well first of all success rate of actually building a business is pretty low. And then actually being able to have a successful exit is even lower, right? So people think they're going to build this business and then be able to sell it well, three to five years. So there's a lot of things that come down to, and I said it before, but the processes and getting the right people in place. And, you know, if, as long as you, if you've got a good product, you know that that's going to work, but having the processes around it. So again, it can operate by itself. People want to buy things that, that are going to be tangible and be able to pick, you know, you can drop somebody else in there to operate it and keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. What What does the financing side look like for business? Because I'd imagine what type of financing, what type of debt you can get on a specific acquisition is really going to determine uh, what kind of price you can sell this thing for. For example, if it's an asset or a business that is really, really tough to get any sort of financing, you got to bring cash to the table versus another business to where you can get relatively cheap and high leverage, you know, financing, or maybe the sellers want to finance a good chunk of it. Right. Then you can get a much higher multiple. Um, what does the financing typically look like for, for a lot of these businesses? Hey guys, real quick. The only way this podcast grows is if you guys share it and review the show. So if you do find value, if you could take two seconds and drop a five star on Spotify or Apple podcasts, it mean the world to me, but more importantly, it will help us reach new audiences and help more people build wealth through real estate investing. Yeah, so this most recent acquisition was um, kind of a, a strategic deal. So we've had somebody that came in, they didn't buy the whole business altogether, but they bought the majority of it. And then they go out, they put in a good chunk, maybe about a third of, of the purchase price, and they went out and raised debt for the other two thirds of it. 
And so they have these large interest payments, 10-year loans. I think they've got one five-year loan and a couple of different 10-year loans. So, you know, everybody has kind of their, depending on if a big group comes in and buys you, if it's a single person, how big the purchase price is, there's a lot of different ways that things could be structured. And I, I think when people want to sell their business, they have they need to understand the difference of, um, you know, having a strategic investor versus venture capital, uh, you know, single person coming in and buying the whole thing and just understanding how that works in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, there's going to be a huge opportunity here in the next seven years with all these boomers that are retiring yep. um, and all these small businesses that are going to either die, they're going to change hands or they're going to get sold. Um, in your estimation, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of wealth that changes hands, uh, whether it's through these small businesses or real estate over the next seven years. What types of people are going to be buying these these small businesses from these these boomers in your estimation? Because I mean, we're buying hotels right now, right? And the reason we're targeting two to ten million in purchase price is because the mom and pop sellers that we're targeting they don't own the hundred million dollar hotels, yeah, right. If that's institutional capital, right. and we don't want to buy from those folks, we want to buy from the unsophisticated mom and pop boomer. That's retiring. Getting ready. Yeah. That's so where the opportunity is. Yeah. Get yeah. A good deal, get and a so, process. you know, in your estimation, what type of people are going to be buying these small businesses or are they going to be buying them? That's a good question. You know, I think right now, I mean, the market is pretty, pretty low. Like during COVID, it was crazy. And one of the reasons I started this e-commerce accelerator course is because e-commerce businesses could raise as much money as they wanted to, to, um, as long as their revenue was going up. And then once the recession, call it what it is right now, um, all of the funds stopped putting money into these businesses. And now, now they want to see businesses that are profitable. So to get back to your question of, well, some of these mom and pop shops, like, are they actually profitable? These smaller businesses, they need to focus on how, how much cash flow can they actually generate? And can this thing stand alone? And I don't know, car washes or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. I have a good buddy that does laundry mats, those types of small businesses. Uh, some people that have done um, senior care centers and things like that. I think those people are always going to want to swoop up those, those small little deals because I think they can, they can cash flow. Um, but I think you got to focus on making sure that those small businesses are actually profitable. And then, you know, as far as the climate of who's going to buy it, I mean... That's, that's hard to tell, you know, if you were advising someone that, um, was new to business and let's say they, they had a couple hundred grand to go buy an existing business or go start, you know, something from the ground up, what three, four or five like business models do you think have the highest success rate? It's <laughs> a good question. So, um, it depends on what you, if you want like a retail store, or online businesses, like I focus on both. I think, Laundry mats, car washes are good. If you can find them, uh, parking lots are amazing, right? Those are hard to, hard to swoop up. Uh, mobile home parks. I know you're kind of in that, that realm as well. And as far as online businesses go, I think there's at one point I was going through Shopify, got rid of this, but they used to have a, a, a sheet where you could go through and pick off and buy Shopify stores. So I was actually going through and like, how much are people listing their Shopify stores for and how can I put marketing behind it? Right. So 
You got to think about how can you add some value like you would in a real estate deal? How can I add some value to this business? So if you're really good at marketing, go find somebody that has a good product. And then how can I supercharge it with some marketing and put it in it to actually mm. uh, blow it up? So, and that'd be a good way to, to purchase maybe a good product that doesn't have any marketing. Yep. Throw some fire on it, which would be good marketing. And then, yep. and then potentially just sell it for yep. a profit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, online businesses are, are, are good. I think it's just finding the right, you can, you can generate revenue pretty much any online business, but can it actually, is it actually profitable? So mm-hmm. that's what I want to look at. Especially a lot of the, there, there's so many Shopify stores. It's crazy. So. Dude, la- you mentioned laundromats. Uh, yep. One of your buddies is doing that. I, I've always been intrigued by the laundromat model. I've always thought it'd be cool to buy like a retail strip center with maybe like four, maybe to six locations. Yep. You own the building, you own uh, the laundromat business in, in one of the, the units, and then you lease out the other five units to tenants that maybe complement your laundromat business. Um, tell me a little bit about the laundromat business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a couple of friends that have, have I, I haven't been directly involved in laundromat, but I think it's, it's an interesting business model. And one of the things that my buddy has started doing is doing the fluff and fold. So people come and drop off their laundry, you pay by pound and that's doing really well. So having some alternative sources in there. So he went and bought the laundromat came in, replaced all the machines, did all sorts of like renovations in there, um, found out a way to get kind of the homeless people out of there, which was an issue, and then offered an additional service. So once he picked up this laundromat, it's like, oh, now I can generate, that's the value add of the laundromat, right? And so I think that's an interesting model. It's not for me personally, but he spends a lot of time like going back and forth and trying to find the right person to do the fluff and fold and that sort of thing on the last Did side. he buy in a uh, lower or higher like median household income type of demographic? Lower, lower? Yeah, yeah. Out in like Vista area. Yeah. It seems like it would do well in those areas, obviously, because, you know, folks that don't have laundry. Um, I have some like C-class apartment buildings that I own and we have, I use a third party laundry vendor who will like supply the equipment they will do all the maintenance and then they will go and take all the coins and collect all the right. revenue like once every few weeks. Yeah. And then, um, we'll do like a 60, 40 split. I think it's uh, 60% to, to us and then 40% to the vendor, but we don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of nice, but like, uh, the, the fluff and fold stuff, like I, I know like I live in a, a nice neighborhood here in downtown San Diego where I pay for uh dry cleaning, you know, right. and the fluff and fold stuff, like, Dude, I would I would potentially pay for that. Yeah, and so that would be come a higher, to your house and pick it up. Yeah, and, yeah. But that would be more of a higher household sure. income type of neighborhood. It's great service. Right? It's a great idea. So, how do you know as a laundromat like business owner, like which which path you go to? You go to like the lower demographic, or you go to the more yeah higher household income. I mean, I think income? it depends on where where you get the laundromat too. You know, if yeah. you're downtown, maybe you get some more of those upscale people. If you're in kind of a a suburb that's run down or whatever that you'd go, go the lower end route. I think that's important with any business. You mm-hmm. need to figure out where you, where you are in the market. Are you selling luxury goods? Or are you selling, you know, the basics? Yeah. So it seems like it'd be relatively, uh, like a relatively low expense ratio, like not a ton of payroll. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's got two people on his payroll mm-hmm. and he's, he's doing a lot of the work himself, like collections and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's an interesting model, man. I've always been like intrigued by it, but 
the timing's never it's it's not it's not conducive or aligned with like everything that we're doing. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? It's kind of like taking a, a big left turn. Yeah. And so I think that's whenever good. I think that's that's another great lesson that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and businesses and me personally, like what is our niche? What are we really right. good at? And like knowing where to draw the line and say like that's that's the shiny new object. It looks cool, but let's let's hone in and focus yes. on this because I've seen people just blow themselves up of trying to do too much and not doing one thing good enough. Yeah. Agreed. Right. So I think whenever I bring on a new project, I'm like, okay, does it go full circle and complement the other stuff that we're yeah. doing? Um, and if it's not, I'm not going to do it, you yeah. know? So like when we decided to launch the boutique hotel mastermind, we're like, okay, well, is it aligned with everything else that we're doing? And the answer is yes. You know, cause if we're teaching it, we're in this network now, like it forces us to be even better at our craft, you know? And so that, that was something that fit right in, but, you know, going and doing uh coin operated laundromats, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be aligned with everything that we're doing right now. Partner, partner with somebody that knows how to do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I mean, that's why I've, I've focused in on this, this e-commerce course too, is I've, I've got a lot of experience across a, a lot of different industries. Finance is pretty similar in that world, but it's, like, how can I niche down in one, like, be really good at one area where it can provide a lot of value in that specific? So speaking of the e-commerce stuff, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You did mention laundromat business is not your thing. Yep. And are you are you more into the e-commerce stuff? I Yeah, I really enjoy e-commerce. I've helped a lot of businesses grow. I've had one that's gone from, I helped them grow from 10 to 100 million in over 18 months in revenue. Wow. Um, my sweet spot is really helping businesses you know, you've got a hundred thousand dollars a year and you need to get to a million or you got a million, you want to get to 10 million. It's, you've got something, you've got an idea, you got a little bit of traction. And then how do we take that and get the right resources, get the right teams, figure out how to get funding, make sure that your, your numbers and it works, works to scale. And, um, yeah, just getting the right team in place and building out a real, real business. So what is it about the e-commerce space that, that makes you so excited? <laughs> uh, I think it's, I mean, I just like, I like products. I told, it's funny cause I told myself 10 years ago when I was doing accounting and I worked with this China made headphone company and I'm like, man, this is a disaster. Managing inventory is terrible. I've never run a business like this in my entire life. And then as I start to work with a lot more people and understand work with some very savvy people on the marketing side and figure out how do margins work? How do you source products? How do you, how do you sell it? How do you brand it? Finding the right formula for all of that, I think it's just really interesting. And through my e-commerce course, it's just, it's, it's the same thing. I'm selling, it's like, I'm selling an e-commerce product. I've got the funnels. I've got the email list. I've got the marketing metrics. I've got the ad spend. I've got costs, you know, all that sort of stuff. So building that all in through, um, it's, it's just like a very fun puzzle. And so w- one thing I'm really good at is seeing idea of somebody that has something together, looking at the numbers and putting the vision together and saying like, these are the steps that you need to do to start to, to move forward. Right. Mm-hmm. What are some areas within like the e-commerce space that you're, you think will be the next big thing moving forward? I mean, I like digital products a lot. It's, it's harder to sell. I think it's a little harder to sell digital products, but the online courses, um, things like that, because you don't have any cost associated with it generally. So if you can scale some sort of online product, 
that's definitely the way to go. Um, I like health and wellness, fitness, that sort of thing. I mean, supplements is a pretty outplayed game, but if you can find the right marketing around supplements, supplements can be very like lucrative as well. And T- testosterone is going to be the next big thing. Right. Um, yeah. Brian Pineda and I were talking about that. It's like, yep. it, it, it's, it's really just taken off right now. And it's like yeah. every man that is above the age of 35 or 40, even right. is going to be a great candidate. And then once they're on it, they're probably never going to stop. Yeah. It's almost like a lifetime subscription model. Totally. Um, that up until I want to say five years ago, a lot of doctors and quote unquote experts in the space were saying that testosterone was unhealthy. It led to, you know, all these different cancers. Yeah. I believe pr- prostate cancer was one of them. So now they're coming out and saying like, no, like all that stuff is not true. And at low dosages, that's monitored by the right doctors that it's actually relatively healthy. Yeah. Super healthy. You're going to live longer. You're going to feel better. You're going to stay stronger. All that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a niche for supplements in that space too, that complement testosterone replacement therapy as well. Cause you got, obviously got to be a licensed doctor and there's all these clinics that pop up too. So there's, um, there's kind of an area there too of like, are you pushing people to go on it that don't need to be on it? And now they're hooked, right? There's kind of that drug aspect of it, but I think it is, there's a huge opportunity there, especially for like supplementation with TRT. Uh, cause uh, in that realm too, you're also taking like an estrogen blocker and mm-hmm. things like that on top. Mm-hmm. So if you can get rid of that and then have some sort of supplement that helps with it as well. Yeah. Um, I know Ryan mentioned that he started taking it, uh, three weeks prior to our conversation and he was like, dude, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> um, for me, um, I just really started taking my fitness like seriously. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm 38 right now and I'm seeing like gains naturally. Um, and I, I haven't been tested. Like I want to go get some blood work done. I want to see where my, my T levels are naturally. Yep. But I think for me, I want to see how far I can get naturally. And then once I plateau, maybe this is down the road, then I'll get on it because they're all my buddies that are on it. They're like, dude, once you start, like you're never going to stop, yep. you know? And so knowing that I'm like, okay, well let me see how far I can get naturally, you know? Um, so we'll see, but you want to hear my story? Let's hear your story. Cause I, yeah. Cause yeah. I've been on it for about three years. Okay. So okay. tell me, tell me all about uh, it. So I, my fitness journey is I was like the skinny fat kid for a while and then started to get into fitness. I did like CrossFit, which is just got injured <laughs> you, you look, all the time. You look great, man. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. And, uh, I started training really hard and it was like, I, I was not getting any, any sort of progress. And I was like eating, everything was dialed in like perfect. I had, I had a nutritionist, I had a trainer and I was like hundred percent fitness and I wasn't getting anything. And I was like tired. And so I went and got my levels checked and it was, I was like ridiculously low. What was it? And I think it was 289 okay. or something like and that. And normal is what? 400? Uh, 600. They say normal is 600 to like 900. Okay. Right. And so, and then I messed around with a bunch of supplements and different, it was like research and research. All to try over. to get it up naturally. To try to get it up naturally. How high did and you get it naturally? I think it bumped it up to like maybe 350 or something okay. like that. And so, yeah, it was a big decision. And like, it's funny we're talking about it. Cause I was like, uh, something I've been like ashamed about to talk like, about. Talk about. But yeah. I think it's important that like, if you are feeling that way, like go, go and get tested. And like you said, same thing, like go as far as you can natural and see see where you can get and if you have issues like there's there's like this is there's so much shit in the like the plastics and the water and like a lot of things that 
we've built in like the city life that is actually bringing down testosterone levels. And so I think just making sure you understand that and where you're sitting. And so, you know, yeah, go get your levels checked. It's not anything to be crazy Mm -hmm. about. It makes me think like, and thanks for sharing your story, by the way, it makes me think like, back because I, I have some buddies that used to take it in college and they didn't even know what they were taking they never even got blood work done right and they were just well, doing that's it. just taking like they were essentially just doing it to get steroids to yeah. get big and you take like mega doses mm-hmm. right, and, so. and one of my buddies in particular he's like dude he's like it fucked me up for a while after that like he yeah. had issues like a lot of health issues for a while after that but you know nowadays it's like you got all these doctors you got all these clinics you can go to go do it done correctly yeah. Um, like what levels are you at now on it? Uh, run at about 900, 900. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a very safe level to be yeah. at. And I imagine that's year round, right? You never come off yep. of that. Okay. Yep. And how often do you have to, to go in? Uh, I don't go into you self minister. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And how often? Uh, twice a week, twice a week. Okay. Yeah. So every three or four days Yep. after three or four days, do you start to notice that it could come down? Not or really. Change in energy? Not really. Yeah. No? Like I think if you do it once a week, you'll see big spikes and it'll come down. Okay. Cause I had done that before. So, yeah, it's just about keeping this kind of, like, maintenance level. And I might mess around some time of, like, just going off it completely to see what would happen. But, like, that's that's scary. Yeah. And even from a confidence standpoint, I'd be like, whoa, like, I don't know, just mentally. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to think about, too, if, like, you want to have kids and, like, there's, there's some other implications around it. But, obviously, we're we're not doctors, but it's, uh, it's, yeah. It's interesting. I think it's, I think it is an actual epidemic. I don't think a lot of people talk about it, but it's yeah, nothing to be ashamed about either. No, I completely agree. Uh, so tell us uh, what you're doing with this uh, new e-commerce program that you have where you're helping other folks. Um, what exactly are you guys doing? Is this, is this more for the folks that are trying to, to start their own business or buy their first business? Or is there, is this more for someone that's not trying to optimize and get ready for an exit? Somebody that's trying to optimize their business has, you know, a hundred thousand a year in revenue or something along those lines. That's a good, that's a good person to jump into the course or jump into our group. Uh, so Again, I'm going to help you optimize your cash flow, help you optimize your profitability, understand the unit economics of your business, help you uh, understand how to negotiate with your vendors, get good terms, get inventory, manage your inventory, all the good stuff that's going to actually help you be successful in e-commerce. So basically all the problems that I've seen over the last 15 years of working with businesses, like here's the roadmap, here's the processes, here's how to do it. And here's my network. Here's everybody you need to talk to. Here's the lenders you need to talk to. And will you get, get plugged them. in with the network of all the other folks that are in this program? Yes, that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty Absolutely. powerful in itself. Yep. Yeah. So I have like the course. You can go on. You can take it. I'll give it free to anybody in your in your network. Um, you can just DM me on Instagram or whatever. And then from there, like joining the group, I do weekly calls and we'll sit down as a group, go through whatever types of issues they might have in their business, and help them resolve more specifically what might going on in their what might be going on in their business so i love that free for the listeners uh what, what's your handle on instagram it's the greg m wilson perfect perfect yep. i love that dude dude i appreciate you coming on the show man sharing yeah, your story you. and um yeah. i'm super inspired by all the stuff that you're doing in the private equity space businesses yep. and all that sort of thing dude um and for the listeners again go check out that course free at his instagram handle thanks for tuning in see you in the next one Peace.